0: Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. This is my first episode for 2021 after an excellent Christmas break and long summer school holidays here in Australia. I'm very happy to introduce my new podcast name and logo, Vibrant Lives Podcast. I felt it was time for some new energy and a refreshing new look. In time, I'll also be introducing some more changes – like a new website. So 2021 is shaping up to be a great year. Vibrant Lives podcast, like Amanda's wellbeing podcast, will focus on your wellbeing, particularly in relation to nutrition, physical and mental health. I will continue to interview experts in these areas, and I've got some really interesting and inspiring guests lined up for you. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist with a deep curiosity about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in this podcast is not intended to be used to treat Cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with mind coach David Rahman, all the way from Wales. David works with people to help them build their self confidence and to feel comfortable in their own skin. He shares his very interesting personal story with us and gives us some practical tips to build our own self confidence. David, thank you very much for coming on my podcast. It's a great oh, pleasure to talk with you today. Likewise. I think we might start by learning a little bit about you. So, David, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in uh, South Wales in the UK.
0: Really? So, mm-hmm.
1: Yes. I was born in um, Neath. My parents came over in the 1960s from Bangladesh, so... Uh, they moved around the UK because my father was a doctor and then settled. they settled in South Wales and that's where I was born and uh, brought up in the Rhonda. Excellent. A valley, a valley
0: <laughs> I've never been there. I'd love to one day. Um, and now where do you live?
1: No, I live in Swansea. In Swansea? South Wales, yeah. Near, very near to the sea.
0: David, you live in Swansea, um, but normally you spend quite a lot of time in London. Things are looking pretty dire over there at the moment, so it's not really a good place to be, I don't think. I I feel um, terrible for people living over there.
1: It's challenging time, to be
0: honest. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Anyway, let's turn our conversation to more positive things and things that we can do during this time. You're a mind coach and... Am I correct in saying that to be a mind coach, you need some life experience? Can you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a mind coach? What did you do before and how did you become a mind coach?
1: Yeah, I've also been interested in psychology, Amanda, uh, since I was very, very young. As far as I can remember, so up to 10, 11 years old, I was just interested in I think it, it started with why are some people confident, and I'm not. Mm. And that's really where I started to look at other people and think, what's wrong with me, uh, and and then you start to get curious about the world and how you fit in the world. And I started reading. Um, there were like key cards uh, with athletes, um, tennis superstars in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up, and. Uh, I, I was very interested in in how people's performance and mm-hmm. how they uh, achieved things, and then I did uh, a lot of science stuff growing up, and I ended up doing a, a couple of science degrees. Uh, one was biochemistry, and the other one was optometry. But when I got to university in the first place, I, I realized that uh, I was severely lacking in confidence right. and self-esteem. You don't label it. You don't just say you would arrive at university. Oh, I lack self confidence. <laughs> you just have this feeling, isn't it, as a teenager? You just don't feel like everyone else does. Yeah, so, or you
0: you perceive that you don't quite fit in. That you have to try and act a certain way to to fit in with others.
1: Yeah, it's I and mean, it you know it's it's obviously it's rife these days in society mm. with teenagers. And back in the eighties. Yeah, I, I was really struggling. I didn't tell anyone because, as a guy, well, as a person, you often don't tell people how you're feeling, especially the teenager. No. I guess, because you want to try and fit in, you don't want to look or feel stupid. Uh, because that's what I thought I was going to feel if I told anyone how I felt. Who's going to listen? Um, yeah. yeah. So I just carried on through my twenties. I, I had moments where I had dark thoughts. Um. You know and the world was black, gray mm. me, and, and I didn't want to be here. So I, I, I was always interested, even though um, I wasn't in the field of psychology at the time, I, I was an optometrist. So uh, I was looking at eyes all day, uh, and people were telling me their life story because mm. I'm these faces or ask the right questions. I was checking their eyes. Uh, and uh, they were also telling me their life story. And I thought, hmm, what's going on here? Why, why do I have a feeling that I'm in the wrong profession? And then I started to look into, around the millennium, Amanda, I started to look into the days of the dial-up internet.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I started looking up psychiatry, psychology, psychotherapy. a lot, nothing appealed to me. And then suddenly... I think it was 2000, 2001, I I saw Life Coach. I thought, what's this? Life Coach. I remember scratching my head at one o'clock in the morning after a night out thinking, what's Life Coach? And suddenly it dawned on me, oh, I like the sound of this. This is helping regular people with issues, you know, without any medication. And that sparked my journey into coaching and training for it. I became a master coach. Um, so I trained with some of the best people in the world and I, and I've been to so many events and, uh, met people like Robin Sharma. And I oh,
0: fantastic.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I worked with the, worked with Tony Robbins organization. Um, and two, two Tony Robbins first ever trainees be, who became coaches. They trained me personally. Oh, brilliant. Uh, in Tony V. So that's, that's how I came about being a coach uh, and a mind coach. Is a for me it's a specific branch of life coaching which right. focuses entirely on the mind.
0: Because I imagine that life coaching could be very broad. So to, to focus in on something and become a real specialist, that must be quite rewarding. Obviously, I think too, David, just talking to you and, and seeing you on the screen and you mentioned your patients would open up to you. You there's an openness to you. I'm sure people feel very comfortable talking with you. So That's another skill that you have. So one of the things you do in your mind coaching is you help people grow their confidence. So I thought we'd go back to the real basics and could you tell us what is confidence or how do you define confidence?
1: Yeah, I mean confidence comes from the Latin word confidere, to have faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. And for me the the definition of confidence is being comfortable in your own skin at a given moment. Uh, there might be people out there who are confident in every area of their life. There are a lot of people who are confident in one area of the life, but not another. Yeah. So they might be good at speaking to people one-to-one, but when it comes to speaking to a group, there's a problem. You know, they freeze and they want to do presentations. Perhaps they want to do, go to networking meetings but in those times, they can't. They say, "I can't be myself." Yeah. So, so for my definition is, it's where are you not being yourself? Where That's are you be, where fascinating. Are
0: you being yourself? Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. David just took a sip of his uh, tea, and it has a Mister Happy cup. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cute. Why then, uh, just leading on from what confidence is, feeling comfortable in your own skin, what are some of the reasons then that it's important to, to have that feeling, to be confident?
1: I think uh, based on the, the definition uh, of confidence, you know, being happy and comfortable in your own skin, I think it's important that you show up in every aspect of your life. That's important mm-hmm. to you. So in your relationship, you can show up, you can be yourself. So, if you're, for example, if you're, on a, on, you're, on, you're dating, you want to show up and be yourself because having spoken to many, many people of different types over the years who have dated in the past, they said to me, and I agree, that there's nothing more attractive to a person than another person who's comfortable in their own skin, yeah. who's being themselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you're on a date with someone, for example, and you can see there, stiff and uh, they're 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 not being themselves and they're not able to convey really what they feel or they're hiding something then you think hmm, you're not attracted to that person whereas we all love a person who's yeah who's who's open and transparent but yet authentic yes
0: and I think if you are talking to someone like that you also relax as well and the whole interaction is better and more profound and, and easy. The the flip side of it too is what what are some of the reasons then that people don't have confidence? Because there seems to be almost like an epidemic of low self-confidence. So what are some of the reasons for that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, confidence is something which, you know, when you're born as a baby, if I could just go through the background of it you get different types of personality. So you might have someone who, two, two children, say mum, and one is quiet, more introverted, yet confident. And the other one is out there and loud, yet confident. So it doesn't, confidence doesn't have a volume. Mm-hmm. But as we grow up, we, we, we experience different events, Amanda. Some of these events are quite, can be traumatic like uh, bullied in school or humiliation by teacher or or being given a row in public by parents and you feel embarrassed or rejection by uh, uh, when you're dating as you grow up or something like that. So you get these little things that happen to you, you know, not chosen for the school football team, and then you feel not good enough and your confidence starts to decrease. And these little things as you grow up can then, by the time you're 18, you have a particular level of confidence, and that's been directly affected by what's happened in be what's happened to you in your life before say for an uh, arbitrary figure would be eighteen right and um, those events amanda cause you to feel a certain way. some people are bullied in school and they just they get past it no problem yeah. another person might take it to heart. and it affects their confidence so It really depends on how you interpret uh, an experience and did you use it and learn from it or did you suffer so much pain that you still keep that pain and you haven't let go?
0: Right. So that is, I guess, almost the crux of what we're going to talk about. But just before we get to that, if someone does experience low self-confidence, what could be some of the results of that?
1: They might be the type of person in a relationship who needs validation all the time, who needs to be told they're loved. They might be, have uh, display feelings of being insecure, so they need invalidation. They're, um, perhaps they don't trust people because it's all a lack of confidence. It could be that in the workplace, they want to go for promotions, but they're not mm-hmm. because they don't feel confident enough. They so they're
0: basically missing out on potential opportunities and things like that.
1: 100%, Amanda.
0: And the other question I have is you talk very deliberately about confidence as opposed to self-esteem, which is another word we hear a lot today. So is there a difference? And, and if there is, what, what are the, is or are the differences?
1: Yeah, self-esteem is how you look at yourself and how you value yourself in terms of um a relationship in terms of what you've got to offer in terms of what you deserve in life and this can then lead into channel into confidence so your self-esteem affects your confidence yeah things you know
0: so they're, they're intertwined obviously yes, yes. As I said, sort of the crux of of our conversation today is based on what you do, obviously confidence is a skill that can be taught. So what are some of the ways this can be done? Where do do you even start?
1: Great question because we are very complex human beings and we've all had a different journey. So exactly where do you start? So one of the first things I, I work with, if, 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 for example, you came in as a client and you were sitting there, uh, we, were, we were working together, the, one of the first questions I would ask you is, Amanda, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being high, one being low, I want you to tell me what number comes to mind when I ask you this question. And the question is, how much do you love yourself? Mm. And then whatever figure immediately comes to mind, subtract at least one, maybe two from it, which is the actual figure. Because we, we don't want to disappoint ourselves, so we'll say, oh, I'm a seven. Yes. And really, a five.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh, so you could go into negative territory there, <laughs>
1: yeah. which would be yeah, no that, good. Yeah, uh, yes. So that's, that's the start where we find out, okay, because uh, for any change to happen, The first step is always awareness. You can't change something you're not aware of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. David has just published his first book. It's called Let It Go, How to Stop Your Past Ruining Your Future. So congratulations. And this is a book that can help you do exactly what we're talking about today. So, David, why did you decide to write the book?
1: Yeah, around 20... Around 2008 or nine, I started doing workshops in public speaking. So I had to get past my own fears. And my own fears were um, fear of not being good enough, fear of failure, fear of the past, fear of being shown up. And as a consequence, I had to get past myself. I had to start to deliver, uh, do what I was teaching other people, and to be able to do it by mass. Yeah, sure. And at that point, I started doing workshops and they were, they were successful in helping people let go of emotions and, and feelings and thoughts and behaviours. And the next step was to try and translate that uh, from the workshops into a book. So the book took, yeah, four or five years. So that was the the result book itself to help people
0: who is the intended audience
1: for your book somebody asked me this the other day i thought well it's for the person who's brand new to personal development who's never actually uh done any personal development and especially during this time they're really reflecting and they want work on themselves um Mm. the second type of person it's for the type of person who's actually into personal development and wants to learn new things and perhaps other things haven't clicked with them, so they want to try something that's um, that will help them unravel who they are and perhaps let of things. And it's mm-hmm. the, the third type of person is for the person who's very experienced in person development, um, wants some reminders, but also some new things to new ways of looking at the world and themselves.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important as humans to. Constantly work on ourselves, and particularly, I think, to work on our minds and how we perceive things, because we're not really taught that. There's one thing I like about Buddhism: you're always examining how you yes. react to things, um, and it's it's so interesting to try and take take a step back and look at your reactions and and just analyze why you're having those certain reactions because you control your reactions. David, what was your writing process? Did you have a routine or did you just do it when you felt like it or how did you structure that? I
1: think it was more to do with the fact that I, I did so many workshops over the years that I actually, in my head, I, I, for example, I, I've done Let Go events where I've spoken for six or seven hours without you. Yeah, wow. Uh, we had a, like a, an hour break, an hour lunch, maybe fifteen minutes in the morning, fifteen in the afternoon. But I would speak for in total six or seven hours, and because I knew my stuff, that put a, putting it down on paper in a rough form was really easy because it, I just I didn't have to think. I'd been go, I'd, it's like having a conversation, so I, I just put, had to put that down. Had to be um, put down into print, and then made sense of. So I worked with, with different people to try and help make sense of that. Uh, and then through a few rewrites uh, and some new, new, new stuff, obviously over the years, it was done over four or five years. Mm-hmm. So I wrote some new chapters um, not last year, the year before in 2019, it all came to fruition. So writing is a process, it's, it's different for most people. Uh, uh, But for me, it was getting that conversation out of my head, down on paper, and then structuring it.
0: And in the book, you also have, um, because David kindly sent me some chapters to read, you also have exercises for people to do. Are they the kind of things that people might do in your workshop, or are they specifically formulated for the reader? Yeah, they're
1: pretty much both. So they're formulated for the reader, plus they're from my workshops. um, And they're The actual book is structured so that it takes you on a journey. So it's very purposely set up that each chapter leads to the next and each chapter has exercises and tips to get you to the next chapter. So it's like a, a journey.
0: If we go back to the title of your book, you say, How to Stop Your Past Ruining Your Future. So I'd like to dive into that whole concept and the concept of letting it go. So how and why does our past impact our future?
1: Everything we've ever learned in the past has caused us to think a certain way and feel a certain way. And therefore the way we act and feel drives our behavior. So if if we notice when you're in a, a bad mood or um, you're not able to think straight. You you might possibly make the wrong decisions, and those decisions affect your future. So, the way we think actually clearly affects our future. But the way we think was born in the past. So we need to we what we need to do is to examine the way we think, and if we don't like what's going on. Uh, Perhaps we're failing in relationships over and over again or we're starting a business that's not working or we have a problem with self-confidence. It all all started in the past. So that's the relationship. The now is where we are right now. This is where we make Mm -hmm. our decisions about the future. So, for example, if you decide, right, I'm going to run a marathon, that decision is made today. But it depends then whether you are frightened to take action, run down the street, or even plan about plan, plan it. That's why some people talk about it but never do it. It's because of various things like fears, fear of failure, for example, which stops them from succeeding, and that's in the future.
0: What are some tips then for people to actually change their outlook and try and let go of their past patterns of thinking
1: i think uh, again the first step is awareness so Mm -hmm. this is a a practical tip you can do it's in the book get an elastic band and if you're for example if you're right-handed put the elastic band on your left wrist and flick it flick it every time over a week seven day period where you blame something or someone including yourself where you complain where you judge, where you criticize. So those four things, or five things, sorry, where you judge, where you are trying to look for validation. So blame, complain, judge, mm-hmm. criticize, looking for validation. So flick it. So over that week, you'll be surprised how many times you're flicking it if you're honest with yourself, you know? And then because that's, when you flick it, you send a, a you shoot in pain up your arm into your brain, which registers as pain. So you equate in blame, complain, judge, criticize, validation with pain. So then you are then highly aware that you're doing it. That's the first step of that exercise. The second step yeah. is observe those people around you, whether it be family or friends or work colleagues, whoever blaming, complaining, judging, criticizing. And the observe them. So, but whatever you do, don't flick the elastic band for them. <laughs> Otherwise you going to be sore. Uh, so, so that gives you two observations. One is you do it. And two, everyone else does it. And that often is the trigger for someone to decide, oh, ooh, I don't like this. I thought I was positive. I'm mm. finding out that I'm, I'm actually yeah. the person who blames everyone. And I've had so many people who told me they had an aha moment. But they, real, they thought they were positive as a person and upbeat and they realised, actually, I'm really negative. No wonder. And so that's, that's an example of an exercise people can do.
0: I see what you say about awareness because you're making yourself take yes. a physical action when you have one of those thoughts, which which registers pain. No one likes pain. But that's a great idea. I've never heard anything like that before because i've read a lot about you know challenging your thoughts and things but again that's something you're doing with your mind so if you're adding in this physical aspect to it as well it can i guess it can shock you to learn how much you you may have negative thoughts.
1: the book is full of practical Mm -hmm. tips um designed to get you to think differently uh, become aware accept it acknowledge it and dis- and make that decision, I want to change, and then actually do it. Because if you just keep it up in your head and say, uh, for example, what you said, challenge your thoughts, which is great, but for a lot of people it's very difficult to sit there and challenge their thoughts because they're in so much pain or so much ang- anger or resentment that they can't challenge their thoughts because they're in a – it's like being in a, a mm. whirlpool. You just can't get out. So Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can't get out. A little
1: action, different type of actions, um, will really change, help you change.
0: What about someone who has had a broadly happy childhood, for example? Is it also helpful for someone like that to try and let go of the past?
1: Absolutely. Our brain has a story. uh, uh, In the book, it's called The Blueprint. And this story is what we think happened in our life. And a lot of that story is BS. It's what you think happened. It's, uh, but the brain is known as a deleting mm. and distorting device. It marries reality, what we think mm. it is. So it's, it's called psychologists call it confirmation bias. So we marry anything in our life according yeah. to how we believe it should be. So yeah, we might look at our childhood and say, yep, great childhood, but I don't feel good enough. Or I don't feel worthy something may have happened, but your brain could well have distorted it and suppressed it, repressed it, so you can't even remember. But you think, well, I had a great childhood. Mm. It could have been something like your grandmother dying in front of you and you were only seven years old. And that, to you, could be something which affected you very badly and causes you then to have a fear of death or the fear of the future. But you don't know about it. And these fears are then stopping you from doing things in life, like for example, starting your own business because you fear it won't work out. These fears can lead on to other fears, but that could have been born from, from an experience like that. And I I've I've seen it.
0: Yeah, I'm that, sure. If I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that this kind of work on your mind and letting go is valuable for just about everyone. Oh,
1: yes. Yes. We, we carry this yeah. mental backpack in our life and it carries all sorts of good stuff and not so good stuff and not so good
0: stuff. Yeah. The other thing you said about the brain, which I think everyone can relate to, if two people uh, relate something that happened several years ago, it could have been a fun thing like something that happened at a party, you can both come up with a very different story of the yes. same event so therefore, obviously, people remember things in different ways. So our brains do distort memories yeah. and things. We could
1: go to a movie one night, mm. six of us, and then meet up three months later to discuss the movie, and we'd all have a completely different version of the movie. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that's yeah. an example of how the brain—it just distorts everything, and it's because of what happened in our past. Um, so six of us would mm. have a different past. Therefore, we watch the movie through different eyes and we have a different experience.
0: Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you're just saying we need to be aware of the fact that we do put filters and things over yes, our experiences.
1: Uh, everyone looks at life through, yeah. a, through a different filter. Uh, and as you said, it's not a bad thing. However, it's um, it causes us to feel a certain way. You might think, mm.
0: And I guess it it can be a bad thing for some people.
1: You know, yeah. there's, there's an analogy mm. I, I love to 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 talk about this. Two guys are in, in a car accident. One guy gets out of his car and says, "Sorry, it was my fault. Here's my insurance details. Let's move on. The cars are drivable. It's okay. Let's move on." But the other guy. Mm. He's focused on why did you not see me? Why did you bump me? Why? You know, we don't know why that guy is so focused on the why and we don't know why he's in such a bad mood in the first place. So whatever baggage we carry into any experience we have can dictate how we react, back to what you were saying earlier, earlier on, how we react in that experience. The
0: other thing that you said that was very interesting to me was about confirmation bias And I think that social media has probably made that problem even worse because the way the algorithms work, they feed you the information that you're, you know, interested in and already looking for. So it means that we don't have potentially um, as balanced or broad a view of things that are going on in the world.
1: You know, there's a part of our brain called the reticular Mm. activating system or RAS for short, and it's our folks and mechanism so have you ever you know you've gone and bought a new car and you've seen that exact car everywhere <laughs> wherever <have> you... <laughs> you oh yes you suddenly see that car and you think i'm the only one. i thought i was the only one with this car and then suddenly it's everywhere yeah.
0: the time in my life that that really happened to me when was when right. i was pregnant Every second woman (laughs) was pregnant, and now nobody's pregnant. That's that's where our brain goes looking for what it you want. Yeah. David, if we're talking about habits and um, you have touched on this a bit and the way our brain works, what are some of the habits that are good for us to let go of? Things like the need to be right, for example.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the habits could include... Um, They need to be right. They need to have the last word. They they need to blame other people, not taking responsibility, Uh, overthinking the future, Mm -hmm. overthinking the past. There's just so many we could talk about that... um, People could want to let go of. I think there's a whole list of it in the book.
0: Yes, I did see that list, and uh, some of them I thought, (laughs) oh, guilty, guilty. (laughs) Overthinking is is one of the ones I'm guilty of. David, if someone were to read your book, where would you hope that they would end up when they'd finished all the exercises? What are some of the things that you would like people to get out of your book? I would love
1: them to feel that they were worthy, that they were more confident. That they were good enough they were they were lovable, that they they could enter a room and be themselves, that they could hold conversations and be present in those conversations and not need to have the last word or be distracted, that ultimately amanda, they could feel really happy in their own skin, and I would love that if people would to read the book because i I think um well, I know I've, I've, in the last chapter of the book, I say that reread the book, but reread it with a buddy, an accountability buddy, who they have their own copy. And both of you go through the exercises in the book. So the book's got sent in chapters. So I think 16 of those mm-hmm. chapters have the exercises, the first two chapters, of the introduction. So go through each chapter per week. So it'll take you approximately three or four months uh, and work through the exercises in your second reading of the book. It it could be a, a game changer for a lot of people's way of thinking about life and themselves. A lot of people to think, wow, I can be myself for the first time in years. And and Amanda, and I can share with you, I've had clients in their 70s who have said, I've never felt this happy in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked with a broad range of clients from all the way from teenagers, all the way up to seniors. Mm-hmm. And it works for everyone. Because somebody said, is this for teenagers only, this book? No, it's literally, it can't be niched. It's for a spectrum of ages, teenagers all the way up to seniors, yeah.
0: The wonderful thing about teenagers engaging in a book like yours is that it will then set them up, hopefully, for years of happiness and success. I mean, it's wonderful that a seventy-year sorry a 70-year-old felt so good after reading your book, but it's also a bit sad that he or she had to wait for seventy mm. years to get to that
1: place. A senior said to me exactly that. I wished I'd met you years ago, David. I said I wasn't around years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so what are some of the things uh, that people have said to you?
1: Yeah, of course. If you don't mind uh, sharing
0: a few, I think the
1: most momentous things I I've, I've I've heard is when people their their family, like when. Um, A mum and dad would say, thank you for giving us our daughter back, you know. Oh, wow. Um, Mm. Or thank you for helping my husband because it's transformed our family. Or thank you for helping me change me because my kids now, they're just calmer and they're happier in the house. You know, that was a single mum. So just had so many, so many things, lovely things over the years. People have messaged me and said, I came to a workshop of yours and, I found out who I was um, or who I was not and I ended up leaving my job six months later because I I, had put up with bullying for so long and I'm so happy now and and I also ended up um, leaving my husband because the relationship was so poor I was staying there for the wrong reasons and I I gained my confidence Mm -hmm. and I left thank you so you just I hear lots of stuff.
0: So the impacts are obviously yes. profound. David, where can people obtain a copy of your book?
1: Obtain it obviously online these days. So Amazon, the Book Depository, um, bookshop.org. Mm-hmm. So these are all international uh, websites serving all countries.
0: Yes, yeah, so I'll put some links in the show notes to all of that because I I believe, and I will double check this, that it's not physically available in Australia yet.
1: But it is in the UK, obviously.
0: And so, David, to wrap up, what do you do to
1: relax? I usually, um, we're in lockdown at the moment, but I usually, I love cafes. I love people watching, drinking great coffee, um, eating out. I love all that. I I just love being around friends, family, and just um, having nice, deep conversations and frivolous conversations as well. Do you have a favourite or
0: several favourite coffee drinking yeah, I do. places.
1: Independence, usually independence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you get to know the owners and their you know, philosophy of life. And, yeah. Uh, I understand in Australia they've got a big coffee culture.
0: Yeah, there. we love coffee over here, and there's not a lot of um, big chains over here. They don't survive, <laughs> like yeah, Starbucks, sure. for example. David, who inspires you?
1: Um. I mean, the first person ever in my life to inspire me was my father. Uh, he was a doctor, but he was just so full of wisdom and integrity. Uh, he came to this country in the 60s and uh, as an immigrant doctor, he, le- he earned so little money because it was at the times when there was no parity uh, and equality. Yeah. And I, as growing up, I saw him struggle, but he never gave up. You know, that was my first role model in life. And then... I'm always inspired by sports people, you know, people in sports who've overcome so much. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I love you know, watching uh, the Olympics and tennis, football, uh, you know, and, and people like uh, – I'm a big Liverpool supporter since I was a child. So Stephen Gerrard was a big uh, hero of most Liverpool supporters. Uh, Kenny Dalglish. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So sports people, Federer – Uh, yeah
0: Yeah, i love federer david the final question i like to ask all my guests is if you could recommend two things that Mm. people could do to improve Mm. their well-being what would they be
1: first one is exercise just take a little bit of exercise every day Um, if you're a person who loves to exercise that's that's a good start to life Uh, if you're new to exercise just just try just do three or four minutes and just try it's it's not a it's not a race metaphorically speaking and that's been proven to be very very good for well-being uh, in fact in the uk depression yeah. uh you, the nhs in the uk demonstrated that you could lower your depression just by three brisk walks per week for 20 minutes at a time so that was a good study to cite wow um, and the other thing for well-being i meditate so Meditation is, and I, I, I've even taught classes on meditation because it's, it's not as difficult as people think. Uh, if I could just share one way of meditating. Uh, Japanese, call it,
0: yeah, great. Please Japanese do.
1: call it the rose, which is where you look at a flower. Um, in this case, the rose. If you haven't got a rose, any flower will do, and you're about six feet away, and just sit there and observe the flower. Observe the texture, the color, the shape of the flower and just get immersed in that nature of that flower just for those few minutes. And if you can do that for five, 10 minutes, you'll have meditated because you are, you're, the Japanese call it the rose and your brain waves will have changed from beta waves, which is when we're active. It's also the most stressful state to alpha waves where it's the more calmer state where we, we are we are in the next state of relaxation, that same state as uh, when we're first thing in the morning when we're half awake or half asleep at night. So that's a very quick and easy way to meditate.
0: Yeah, that's a wonderful advice. Thank you, because I think some people can be a bit put off the idea of meditating because it does sound, and it actually is or can be quite hard, but that is a lovely way to do it. Thank so thank you for that. David, if people want to follow you um, or look at what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Okay, so I'm on social media. I post every day something to help people out there on Instagram, uh, David underscore Raman, and then that gets shared onto Facebook, which is Mind Coach. Uh, Mm -hmm. And on LinkedIn, I'm David Raman.
0: Great. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. So, David, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. And personally, I actually can't wait to read your book.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time and your energy.
0: Thank you for listening to Vibrant Lives podcast today. I hope you found today's interview interesting or inspiring. If you did, please tell your friends about it and share the podcast And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast, you can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and you can also subscribe on YouTube. Producing the podcast is a labor of love. It has become my full-time job and I dedicate a lot of time, money and effort towards it. So if you would like to support my podcast in any way, you can purchase a book from the bookshop on my website, which is still at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you click on the Amazon link in my bookshop, at no extra cost to you, I receive a small commission when you buy a book. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.